Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. So we joked that what would we give fathers? And I basically was like, don't give them anything. Um, and then we settled on bow ties. Like apparently these M&Ms are supposed to look like bow ties. Uh, because the reality is women ask, like, what do men need? And really that's what you just did. Like, men, go work hard. Go pray your prayers to God over your family. And then wives, you want to know how you want to bless your husband? Grab that knucklehead and pray the blessing and power of God over him. Every night, that's all he needs. He just needs God's strength. He needs his kids to know, like, hey, Dad, I see you. God bless my dad. And so if we're going to be a church, we just want to be a church that's really clear. Uh, We don't think dads need beef jerky. We don't think dads need good bourbon. We think dads need Jesus. And so men, follow Jesus. Kids, bless your dads. And on that note, kids, you can get up and go to family ministry. Uh, And I think we have family ministry today, right? I just got really nervous. Like, maybe we don't have it, but I think we do. But not child. Okay, okay, okay. I could tell them why. Thanks, Jeremiah. You want to preach this for me? (laughs) We do have family ministry today, but we don't have child care, mainly because we could not find enough people to watch the younger kids. And I know that sounds like it's like a, come on, and it kind of is. So we might listen to small kids cry today, and that'll just be your reminder that there's room in this in the in the toddler room to watch kids it won't distract me though if they're in here I have four kids and I love kids in the house of God and so what we're going to do today we're going to continue in our series on second Timothy so if you have a Bible go find second Timothy it's after first Timothy uh and really we're we're looking at this book of the Bible because nobody preaches it and they don't preach it because it's written to it's written to pastors it's called a pastoral epistle and so sometimes we're like well I'm not a pastor And I'm not in church leadership, so what do I need to learn about pastoral ministry? And the hope is that somewhere in the middle of this, number one, we believe everybody in this room is a minister of the gospel. That you are actually a minister just as much as I am. My job's a little different. My job is to equip ministers, to equip the body for the work of ministry. And I love that calling on my life because then it's not so much about me flexing a gift, or if I have a healing gift, or if I have prophetic words, it's if you do. And then how do we hone that in you? And so as we get into chapter three today, it comes out, we did chapters one and two last week, which is like, that was a miracle. In chapter three, he's going to kind of double down that the world's gonna get bleaker and worse. And we need to understand that because I think some of us right now, if you watch the news cycles, if you just disconnected and plugged into a news channel for the next 24 hours, do you think your heart would be at peace? If you just went on what Facebook's telling us right now, do you think there'd be a lot of like stability in your heart and life? No. And Paul is writing this letter, and I'm going to keep reminding you, he's writing this letter from prison. And he has been called the apostle of apostles. He's the one that writes the majority of the New Testament. He's the one that works in power. He's the one that goes out to all the nations and teaches the Gentiles. He's the apostle of apostles, but he's sitting in a prison and he's like, this is bad. And so in chapter three, he's going to start to explain 
what it's going to look like in the last days. Now, I've been a part of a few circles that are like, we're in the last days, and I'm starting to really agree with them. But from 2,000 years back to right now, you know what time we've been in? The last days. The days that we are waiting for Jesus to split the sky open and make good all the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It's coming. Now, we're not going to put a date on it because we aren't those people. But we are people that take the Bible and go, okay, if we're living in the last days and this is what it's going to look like according to Paul, we should be ready for it and not freak out with the culture. But I keep watching Christians freak out as if it's a surprise that the world loves the dark. And so I want to pray really quick. I know we've prayed a lot, but I have a deal with the Lord that I, I won't talk about him until I talk with him. And I would love it if we just turn this into a prayer meeting. Like if you're like, God just, like that whole heaven come thing. And the reason we can sing that over and over, some of you are like, why do we repeat that so much? Well, Jesus taught us a prayer. He said, our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that, that, I love that idea. If God's rule showed up in this room, what would happen? If the kingdom of God manifested and you could touch it in this room, what would happen? That's what we're asking for. So can you pray with me? Just that that very thing would happen. So Father, we just stop. And I thank you for your presence. But I, I pray that prayer that you taught the disciples to pray, that you are our Father. We get to say, Abba. We get to say, Dad. And it's not improper to call the King of heaven and earth, Dad. And so we humbly come and say, Father, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy are you. And I pray that your name and your word and who you are would be holy in our minds, holy in our hearts. And if there's any unholiness in this body, that you would purge it. I ask that your kingdom would come right now that your rule would come over this room. And we submit to it, both as a corporate body, but individually in this room, I just picture men and women kneeling before God and going, God, I'll go your way. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And Jesus, your life was a testament to the will of God and the kingdom of God. And so I ask for the healing of wounds. I ask for the salvation of souls. I ask for the power of God to be poured out to the glory of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that as we read your word, that it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And I pray that it would pierce and it would cut. That we wouldn't hear it for the hundredth time, but we would hear it and it would change us. May your word go out in power. In Jesus' name. Amen? So we're going to do a thing that's a little old church. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read the whole chapter of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, okay? And that's really just a reverence thing for the Word of God. And that's really just like we're going to read the whole thing. Uh, and I didn't even put it in, up on the screens that way, so I'm going to have to flip a bunch. But we'll start in verse 1, and I just want to read it. They would have received this in a scroll. And a guy, a courier would have come in, they would have unrolled the letter, and this is a letter, and they would have read it. And everybody in the room would have been like, what did Paul say? What did Paul say? 
2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. They are having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra were persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse and deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God. You can have a seat. Thanks for standing. Be a little old school with me. So often we take this book and we learned it in flannel graph form as kids. We memorized it in swords drills in Sunday school, and we make, we, we make it a thing which it's not. It's not just a textbook. It really is the Word of God, and we love it, and I cherish it, and it's like honey on my lips, and I want to hide it in my heart so I don't sin against the Lord, and sometimes we're like, well, it's just a Bible. Yeah, it's, this is just a book, but the words in it are the Word of God, and we want to cherish every drop of it. So we're going to start at the top and work our way through, which is what we do here. And we'll go line by line. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And so we already said, we're in it. In the last times, there will be times of difficulty. In your version of the Bible, it might say there will be terrible times. That word terrible or difficult, it's only used one other place in the Bible. To explain the two demoniacs in, in, the, in the garden, uh, these de- demonically possessed guys, terrible, difficult, violent, vicious. That's how Paul explains what it's going to be like at the last days. And then he begins to get, kind of give a grocery list, one of which I always find awesome, uh, just because it's like, it's things like greed and pride and they love pleasure. And then it's like, we'll get there. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Did you hear that? My kids aren't here anymore. But did you hear that? 
Like in this list that Paul's giving, he's like, there's people that love themselves. Anybody, some of us in this room probably should raise our hand. They love themselves more than they love God or people. They love money more than they love God and more than they love people. And they're proud and they're arrogant and they're abusive and they disobey their parents, which feels like it's out of whack, but it's actually straight in line with all those things. Because to truly love God, I will submit to the things he's put over my life and the people over my life. Ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Now, with at least, least amount of judgment possible, if you scan even tiny little Oxford, do you see that? Do you see that attitude? And do you feel the world trying to coax you into the same one? Do you feel some days the love of money calling your name? Do you feel some days that, they, that you're like, you know what? It's Father's Day. I deserve to sit on the couch and do a little me time. Do you feel the love of self going, it's okay, be about you. The world loves that idea of treat yourself, except it's completely antithetical, it's against the gospel. And so Paul's going, okay, I'm in a prison. It's getting dark and you need to know this is coming. You need to know that there's a gathering storm. You need to know that this is what people are gonna do. You need to know that it's gonna call your name. And so, you know, young Timothy, young Timothy's probably either old 20s or young 30s. He's going, be aware so that you're not surprised. But you'll notice, and this is what you'll notice, when you read the Bible, a good Bible study technique is to notice words that are repeated. If you read from uh, verse two to five, he says a few things like three or four times. He uses a word. He says, they're lovers of, they're lovers of, they're lovers of, they're lovers of. He repeats that idea that they love themselves, that they love money and they love pleasure. And, in, and that idea is not so much that they just like it, it's that they're run, but they're chained by it. They chase it. They're, they're enslaved to it. And then he ends with this last, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Rather than lovers of God. So what are you supposed to be? What are you called to, church? Love God. Not memorize all the, all the Pentateuch. You could try. That's great. Not even you. You have to know Greek. You are called to do one thing. It's the first and highest command. And we forget it all the time. Love God. Love Him. And not even just love Him. Be a lover of God. I want to love His ways. I want to love His voice. I want to love His word. I want to love His people. You're called to walk with God in a relationship that has love at its base. So in a dark and evil age, you would think it's probably pretty easy to watch somebody be a lover of themselves, get real judgmental, and then start hitting them with the Bible. He's like, that's actually not your first call. When you get into the book of Revelation and you have these letters to these churches, the one that's most convicting to me is he condemns a church because he says, you've, you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten the why you got into this church thing. You forgot why you are where you are. You forgot why you're saying no to pleasure in the world and money. You forgot the one who loves you. You need to return again to your first love. So Christian, I don't, I don't care 
if, if, you, if you're a pastor, if you got everything figured out, if you know apologetics or Greek or have perfect theology. I care, are you loving God? That's, it's the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's nothing else before that. There's a second one kind of like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up the law and the prophets, and that's what it was. So if you're like, I don't know what God wants from me. Man, I feel like I can't ever get it right, and some days I feel so bad because I'm not hitting my checklist of Christianity. There's one thing, one thing. Love God. Love Him with all your heart. Love Him with all your strength. Love God. And so often we make it about 18 different things. No, it's about one thing. And I like one thing because I like simple. So when King David in the psalm says, one thing have I asked, this is what I seek after, he's, got, he's, he's tuned into reality of eternity. And why would we ask for one thing as a church? Why is Paul going, hey, they love their self, they love money, but you, you, rather, they should be loving God. Because if I love God, money won't own my heart. Now I can use money and I can make money, but it's not my first love. And I won't, I won't turn to pleasure for me. I will love God and therefore it'll change how I even view pleasure. Anybody have a really different view of pleasure before you were a Christian, like BC before Christ? Like you were like, this is what equates pleasure. And now you're like, I don't even like that stuff anymore. So what happened? You're, you're falling in love with God. You're falling in love with his ways and he's making you more like Jesus. And so praise God, right? Now, some of us in this room, you're like, I, I really still struggle with this form of pleasure or loving myself or loving money. And that's okay because we believe in a thing called sanctification. And everybody in here should be like, amen, yes. You're all in here in a process. You're all in here at different points and different stages. And some of you, though, need to be reminded that you are called to love God. But we haven't even gotten to the bad news yet because in that list, you're like, yeah, I see that in the world. What the reality is, and this is not a condemnation, I see it in the church. In that list, we see pride. We see arrogance. We see people that love themselves. But he ends that whole list with verse five. If you go to verse five. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. He says, in, in these last days, there's going to be people that look the role, talk the role, know the right answers, maybe even got baptized. I mean, maybe from a young age, they slid down that pew into the baptismal, and their dad's a pastor, but they have a form of godliness, a look of godliness, but they deny all the power that God has for them. You know people like that? I've had some conversations recently, or even Anna did, uh, with people that were church shopping. And they said, what kind of church are you? Because uh, we're looking for a church that's like, and they just listed out a whole segment of things. Like that's like contemporary, but then like it's pretty loose with like, you know, we don't want to be rigid. We really want sexual things to be this way. And we were like, we are, you're just going to be mad at us from day one. Because we hold the Bible up real, real, real high and we follow the Holy Spirit wherever he goes. And she was like, oh, and went over to her whatever church, right? And, and really, you can get into this point, like, you know people that have bought into what I call postmodern religion. 
they, they have Christian on their business card. They maybe joined a Christian organization, but it was for their business. And on the back end, they're like, but I get to do what I want, sleep with who I want, go where I want, be what I want, and I get to go with the world. It's, it's just postmodern. And postmodern thought is everything goes, and you can't tell me I'm wrong. It, it's a religion that says things like, well, we don't really need to be bound by that outdated book, do we? You ever met somebody like that? Paul sees them, and then he says to Timothy, they're coming. People that look really godly on the outside, but have no power of God on the inside. And this whole thing is not about moral ethics. This whole thing is about the power of God being poured out on a cross and you being saved from the inside out. So I can control my out. This is not about behavior modification. If I control my, if I have enough self-discipline, I cannot cuss. I can mold the outside to look the part. But you know what the only thing that can change the inner, inner man or the inner woman? The very power of God. The only thing that reads dead things to life is the power of God, not religion. So Paul says in the last days, it's actually going to get more religious. People are going to get more religious. As the world gets more unstable, people are going to start going to church, doing the thing, but not letting God actually have their heart. So a form of view of godliness, but with denying its power. And then he has this little statement that it makes some of us uncomfortable because we're still trying to play this game of loving and grace versus truth. He says, have nothing to do with them. So we've had friends that are in that category. They don't hold the Bible real high. They would call themselves Christians. And we stop hanging out with them and they get their feelings hurt. And we don't even really have, we just, this is what we point at. Does that feel politically correct? Does that make y'all feel warm and fuzzy? So once again, we are people that are taught by the word and led by the Spirit of God. And so the Bible just said there's going to be people that look really religious and know the right words, but they don't have any of Jesus. They don't have any power. They deny it, actually. Don't have anything to do with them. And I don't know what not having anything to do with them that looks like, but I think it has, looks like having nothing to do with them. Not giving them my time. Not letting them speak life into me. Because they don't have it. Not, I mean, I think you could start treating them like non-believers at that point. Invite them to your dinner table and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ over your life. Ask them to lay hands. Okay, you better, I'm going to pray for you. We're asking the Holy Spirit to come on you. Like, we're going to do some actual God stuff here. Not religious stuff. Sounds kind of judgmental, narrow-minded, but that is literally what the Bible says. He goes on in verse 6. For among those are the, them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. They're not going to get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as what, what was that of those two men? So those two names, Jambres and those guys, uh, church history says that those are the two leaders of pharaohs like magicians. And that when Moses showed up and did true acts of God, what did they do? They mimicked them. They, they copied them. They, 
falsified them. They, Moses threw his staff down, it became a snake. They did the same thing. Moses made blood in a pot, they did the same thing, but it was false, and they were found to be false because the true power was with Moses, because Moses knew the one true God. And he says, just like that, there's gonna be men in the last days, men and women who teach people false things that slip in and take weak-willed women and use profound religious language to burden them, to deceive them. And he's like, but don't be tricked by them and don't let yourself be disqualified. So then how, how are we gonna survive is kind of the question, right? So if, if it's gonna be lovers of self and lovers of money and there's gonna be all these people that look really godly but they're really not and we're not supposed to hang out with them and they're gonna try to like corrupt these weak-willed women and is what he says and then he's like, but here's what you need to do. And I'm gonna give you three and we're gonna go kind of fast. You, however, verse 10, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And in, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So if you want to know what I would say is kind of like Paul's recipe for making it through the last days well, he starts with number one, and he doesn't say it outright. He basically says, but follow godly leaders. Follow godly leaders. And I'm going to give you kind of a recipe to figure out who your godly leaders are. He starts off with kind of a list. He says, you know my way of life. So a godly leader has nothing to hide. He ha his finances are open. His sexual life is open. He's not behind closed doors. He's not off by himself. You know my way of life is what he says to Timothy. So if you're looking at me or you're looking at an elder, you should be able to ask these questions. And if you're like, man, I don't, do I know his way of life? Am I living the Jesus life when I'm at the gym? And if I'm not, I shouldn't be here talking to you about this. Am I living the Jesus life when I'm home with Anna or my hitting her? I'm not, but am I? He says to Timothy, you know my way of life because a true godly leader, they don't have anything to hide. He says, you know my doctrine. And so they teach the truth. And we regularly hear, I tell you this, do not follow me. Follow Jesus. Follow the Holy Spirit of God. Test everything we say up here. Go be Bereans. So if I tell you Jesus isn't the only way, you should carry me out the door. Why? Because this isn't my church. It's his. This isn't yours. This is, all, this is God's house. And we want to guard it. And he says, so you know my doctrine, Timothy. You know what I taught you since you were young. So you know what my teachings are true and in accordance with the word of God. He says, you know my faith, my love, and my, my patience. And so the third mark of a godly leader is they actually practice what they preach. So Paul, he knows all the theology. And Paul could have been like one of the sons of thunder had been really harsh and in fact sometimes he does get a little it's like wow bud you can tone it down but he says timothy you know my faith timothy watched paul walk out his faith in fact paul's living out his faith as he's writing this because he's in a prison cell and he goes it's it was so worth it to suffer for jesus so a true mark of a good godly leader is they're not hiding they're teaching the truth they're practicing what they're preaching and number four number four they're not afraid of persecution. He says, you know my sufferings and my persecution. 
So if every time it got hard, a leader runs away, I might put them in the bad category of leadership. If every time someone doesn't like you as a leader, you just sit down and you cry, I might put you in the category of a bad leader. But Paul says all those things. And so the point is this, find people like this, Timothy. Find people like me, Paul's saying, and follow them. Follow godly people. Follow godly leaders. And if you don't have, you don't see godly leaders here, you should leave. We, We put a big premium on leadership here. A big premium on membership as well. Why? Because we believe there's accountability in it. So follow godly leaders. And then he ends that section about following godly leaders and following his example with a really good reminder for everybody in this room. Verse 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who wants to live a godly life in the room? Please, everybody, raise your, like, just, at some level, you're in this place because you want to live a godly life, right? They never told me that when I went to school. They were like, ministry's going to be great. You're going to grow a church, people, you're going to counsel people, you'll get to do weddings, get to do funerals, not as fun, but you get to, you'll get to do all this, you'll be like Jesus, right? But did anybody tell you that when you got saved? Everyone. Young, old, middle class, upper class, whatever class, whoever you are, everyone, which is like catches everybody in the room, right? If you're following Jesus, everyone who wants to live a godly life and honor God in the last days in a crooked and depraved generation that loves themselves and you choose to love not yourself but God, you will be persecuted. You will be. And the reality is, I find that American Christians... Are, are, we're really afraid of a lot of that. But if you go to Sudan or if you go over to any other country where Christianity is flourishing, they like wear it like a badge of honor. If you start reading some of the stories that are coming out of some countries in Africa, they're murdering whole villages and all the women and children are running away and then they're meeting and worshiping. And it makes me go, how's your faith? Right? It makes me go like, I should probably prepare my children for something a little harder than what I've prepared them for. Which is, do you want your your grilled cheese cut in a triangle or squares? Oh, you don't like that? I'm sorry. Like, what are you, like, what are we doing? And that's what Paul's doing to Timothy. He's like, what are we doing? He's like, get ready, man. If you follow Jesus, the world won't like you. If you do Jesus' like way of money, you'll be weird to the world, which is like buy the biggest and the best. But we don't buy into that because the biggest and the best will get sold at a yard sale one day. The only thing we're sowing into is the kingdom of heaven here. It's the only thing that lasts. So what are you doing? And maybe you're like, why? Well, I, I haven't been persecuted at all. In fact, everybody loves me. Everyone thinks I'm the greatest, most swell guy on the planet. Maybe we're not following Jesus as much as we should be. And that's not hard. I, I do that. I chicken out all the time. I'm the first one to try to be real here. When you're in the grocery store and you feel the Holy Spirit go, go tell that person, you're like, I don't want to be weird today. I understand that. 
when you're tired and you're like, I just want to go work out. I don't want to pray for somebody today. I understand that. But we're called to something greater and more better. More better? That's not good English. More better than anything this world has. And so often as Christians, we need that reminder that if you follow Jesus, it shouldn't surprise you that people won't invite you to their garden parties. Who's having garden parties? I don't know, because I'm not getting invited. Because right in the middle of the garden party, I'm like, hey, where are you going to spend eternity? And they're like, well, he didn't invite you here. We just want to sip our garden party tea. And I'm like, I'm not here for that. Right? Or like the last time they invite you to family dinner, and they're like, who wants to pray? And you're like, me, fire of God, come. And they're like, don't ever invite that guy to family dinner again. Right? Because you're like, I don't want to bless peas anymore. I want to see the kingdom of God. That's where we're at. That's what he's trying to do in a Timothy. That's what I'm trying to do with you. The thing we're called into is better and bigger and more vibrant than your little Sunday flannel graphs ever made it. Because we're called to a mission and a life and a purpose, a kingdom that's better than the house you have and the four picket fence and the labradoodle. Way better than that. Way better than that. And God, by his spirit, I believe, wants to sow into his people a fearlessness again. Where will you go, I count it an honor to suffer for his name. American Christianity, we've built a theology that goes, if God's for me, I'll never be suffering. They did not live that theology. They lived the opposite. They actually went, we're suffering, we're doing it right. We're being persecuted. Yeah, like who does that now, right? We were like, man, I got a hangnail and I lost my job. Man, God has abandoned me. And we get really mad. They're like, if you follow Jesus in these last days, you will get persecuted. Most early Christians walked around, it says, uh, in rags as sojourners, wandering. They didn't have houses. They got taken away by Nero. They didn't have kids because they got burned to death. And I know that sounds like really intense, but now's the time for the church to return to her first love. Gentlemen, if someone came and tried to make a move on your wife at your front door tonight, how are you responding? I was preaching there and then I lost my mic, so. Somebody came for my wife. And I, and what would you do? There we go, we're back. We're back. I don't even know where I was going with that. So we'll just go on. Uh, Everyone who wants to live a godly life, though, will be persecuted. And I don't think we go out looking to be persecuted, but we go out looking to represent Jesus really accurately. And half the time, we downplay Jesus, so we'll be accepted. Half the time, we're like, I'll be a little Christian, like I'll pray over my tacos at El Burrito Loco, but I'm probably not going to tell the waitress about the love of God. Because that's a line we're not going to cross because we don't want to be weird. I want you to be weird. Not weird like the guy that's like the weird uncle in the corner. I want you to be weird because the Spirit of God resides in you. I want you to be weird because where you walk, the kingdom comes. I want you to be weird. So when I saw John Johnson today walk up with a crutch, my first thought was, we need to lay hands on him and ask for God to heal him. That, I want you to be weird because you, don't, you're not, you haven't bought into the world's systems. You don't care about loving pleasure. You don't care about money. You are, you are sold on the kingdom of God. That's what I want for you. And that's what Paul wants for Timothy, who he's going to charge to, hey, hey, 
teach this to other people. Follow godly leaders. That was point one. We're really getting through this fast. Uh, the second one is, is he's, he's like, continue in what you've learned. Go to verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So when he says sacred writings, what is he talking about? He's talking about scripture. He's talking about the Old Testament, probably. He's saying those things are able to show you what God did and promised by the prophets. What God did in the past to make a pathway for his son to come and fulfill all of the promises. Those things are able to make you wise unto salvation. Remember them. And then keep, continue in what you've learned. I know we all, I don't know, anybody just loves starting new stuff? I found out this recently. I like starting new stuff and I hate maintaining things. Hate it. So if you want something started, I will stir it up. I'll get people around me. People will, will, will like it. It'll be fun. I, maybe that's an entrepreneur. I don't know what that is. Maybe I'm an apostle. Well, I don't know. Whatever, right? But then if you're like, hey, I just want you to do this same thing every day for the next 15 years, I'm like, Ugh, uh, it's hard. But that's what he says to Timothy. Continue in what you've learned. And there are days where I know you wake up and you're like, what are we doing today? Well, the same thing we did yesterday. And this is why he's gonna go, now I want you to align your life by scripture and I want you to live by the word of God because I don't know about you because some days my heart's up here and some days my heart's down here. But what's always the same? Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ. And his word is eternal. And so I'm setting the rhythms of my life not by my emotions, and not by my, like, oh, I like, I want to maintain this, or I want to start, I, I'm setting my life by the word of God. This is what he says, stay constant in this. You ever have that day you get up and your devotional, like your time with the Lord was just like, you were in the fifth heaven, if that is a thing. You were just there. As soon as you started praying, you're like, God, I feel your love. I love being with you. You ever get up the next day and you're like, where are you at? And you read the same words. He says, be constant in it, though. Be constant in the times of devotion to the Lord. Be constant in the times of sharing communion. Be constant, be, always be sharing the communion of the table with God. Always be worshiping with other believers. All, like, be constant in that, Timothy. Why? Because sometimes you look around and you're like, hey man, those people that like, are loving themselves and loving money, they seem to be having a lot of fun. And life seems good for them. And he's going, but you, Timothy, don't get distracted by that. You be constant. Christian, do you need to return back to constantness, steadiness, a rhythm that God has established for your life, not the world? And then finally, he says, let the word of God make you complete. Go to verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I hear the kids' bombs and dads, and I, I know it. I feel like I, I have four kids. I'm not in diapers anymore. Praise God. Not me either, but them either. Um, so that's all good. Um, but I'm not offended about your kid making noise. It's like I'm going to reinforce that. We're a family, and I have prayed on the floor with grace on my back. So like if the kids can't be in here, I don't know what you're all doing in here. So we love it. Anyway, all scripture is God breathed 
And that word in Greek is literally how they translated it. Yes. It's God breathed. And so we believe here in a high view of scripture because when Moses wrote down what he wrote, we believe God breathed it. It originated with God. Moses wasn't just being inspired like Shakespeare. It wasn't like he had some really magical Holy Spirit thoughts. It was God breathed or spoke out words and Moses wrote them down. David did the same thing. Daniel did the same thing. Matthew did the same thing. Paul did the same thing. All script. This is a day, man. And it says it's going to do a few things. It says it's going to, uh, it's useful for teaching. So often guys ask me, well, what's God think about? And I'm like, what's the word say? So God's word will tell us what is right. But God's word will also tell us what's not right. It was useful for teaching and rebuking. Anybody been rebuked by the word of God recently? Every time I read it, I'm like, oh, love your enemies. That's it. Oh, yeah. yeah pray for those who persecute you. The promise that we're gonna get persecuted is a rebuke for me, that not everybody's gonna like me. Anybody just want everyone to like them? Like, please like me. Jesus doesn't want everybody to like you. Sometimes you gotta offend people so they'll come to the kingdom, or not, but start offending people. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, and for correction, how to get right. And if the Bible's not correcting you, I would, challenge you that maybe you're not reading it correctly the Bible corrects the earth the Bible shows the way to salvation the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit the Bible tells us how to handle gifts the Bible tells us that we are to go therefore because he has all authority in heaven and on earth the Bible the Bible and the Bible so people all the time they come to this church and they're like you we see you like the Bible why do you like the Holy Spirit you know what I say the Bible why do I believe in prophecy the Bible why do I think tongues is a current gift? The Bible. Why do I think the Holy Spirit will lead you? The Bible. Why do I think preaching should be predominantly in the church? The Bible. Everything, it, it's essential to what we do. Even the Holy Spirit stuff, the Bible. And so he says, let it teach you. Let it rebuke you. Let it correct you. And then also, let it train you for righteousness. There's a training that needs to take place, men and women of God. And that you're like, well, how do I, do I like bicep? No, you, you go to the word of God every day and you let it change you. And it might be this much one day and this much another day. It's not all mountaintops up in this piece. Some days it's grueling. And in the morning, he's like, I want you to watch your lust today. And by afternoon, you're like, God, I've already messed up 1,700 times. And he's like, we're gonna keep working on that, son. We're gonna keep working on that, daughter. And by the end of the day, it's this, I'm training my heart in the ways of God, to love God. And so some days, I don't, I don't want any more of my days to get to the end of them and be like, I didn't give God any of my attention. Lovers don't do that. Men, if you ignore your wife all day today, what will happen? I always use the men as the negative example. Wives, what would happen if you ignored your husband all day today? 
Some of you are like, well, nothing. Because he would be oblivious. Problems. We'll work on those later, okay? All I mean is, if we're going to love God, we have to stop ignoring him. We have to be people that are more aware of what the Spirit's doing every moment of the day. And not in the high spiritual moments. I'm not talking church moments. I'm talking like changing oil, disciplining kids, changing diaper moments. Because you want to talk about fatherhood? Fatherhood is speaking the love of God over your kids over and over and over and over again. And so here's the result so that we are thoroughly equipped to do what God wants us to do. Do you want to do what God wants you to do? You want to be a godly man or a godly woman? Get the word of God in your heart and in your life. And when you meet something that you're not doing, go do it. When it says pray without ceasing, that's hard to do. To be in a constant state of praying or communing with God is hard to do. I'm just going to end the sermon, okay? But I can summarize what he just said in chapter 3 in kind of four ways. Number one, the world will get worse. Don't be surprised. I don't think the world all of a sudden is going to go, it's a great idea to not endorse all the transsexual, homosexual stuff. I don't think the world's doing that. I think they're going to go farther. Don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised when they love money and love stuff and love sex and love pleasure and are haughty and proud about it. Don't be surprised. You don't have to adopt the same attitude. God told us it's going to happen. Secondly, tough times are coming, and so don't be discouraged. I've joked, I can't wait to go to jail for Jesus. That might not never happen in America, but if it does, what did he just say to Timothy? Don't get discouraged. Maybe we need to change our mind to a bigger mental, like a heavenly mindset. That I suffer now for Christ, and I get to spend eternity with him forever. So if God's will for my life is I'm going to go to jail, or I'm going to be hated by the town of Oxford by the time I'm done here, then great. Don't be discouraged when it happens. Uh, It's easier to stand strong if you don't stand alone. That's the godly leadership. That's getting around godly people. That's don't do this alone. So if you're, you you just need one. One other godly brother at work. A couple other godly believers you gather with on a Monday night, and you worship your heart out. Some other brothers you can text and be like, man, I'm struggling today. Will you pray for me? Don't do this alone. And then fourth, believers who build their lives on the Bible may be persecuted, but they'll never be defeated or broken. I think Paul's actually doubting a little bit here, even though you have to kind of read into the scripture. But he's sitting in a prison. I think he's probably feeling like John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the precursor to the Messiah. And he was crazy, bro. That guy lived in the wilderness, wore camel, like sheepskins and hair on his back, right? Ate locusts and honey. Who wants that calling from God? Right, and he comes out of the wilderness going, prepare the way for the Lord. And you would have thought, man, that dude's getting like a golden chariot welcome into heaven. Where's he end up? Prison. And ultimately, how's he die? gets his head cut off because a girl does a naked dance for a king. And we all think, well, I'm following God, and if I go his way, then I I get the golden chariot. You might get prison and a head cut off. 
And that doesn't mean God denied you. That doesn't mean you're abandoned. That means you did the will of God and what he called you to do. And it also could mean that the days are evil. And evil men, evil men do evil things. And you don't overcome the evil. Like So a prideful person is not overcome when you equal their pride and arrogance. When the world loves themselves, I don't think they're all of a sudden like, I won't love myself anymore because you then all of a sudden get real prideful and start hitting them with the Bible. I think the, a godliness that doesn't deny the power of God, a godliness that is full of the power of God destroys that stuff. So let me ask you a question. How are you building your life on God's word right now? And don't make it ethereal. How practically day to day is the word of God employed in your life? And if you've not, you've stopped getting up early. Like, if you gotta get up at five to be with Jesus because that's the only time you got, get up at five to be with Jesus. He is the treasure that we seek. He is, he is it, man. And I, I, all this whole sermon, this whole like the world's getting bleak, I could care about that sermon. The one about loving God, I love that sermon. Men, love God. Love God and be unashamed about it. I have watched the Spirit of God recently just create, and I'm not even gonna point him out because he's, he's my friend. He just weeps when he talks to Jesus. I love it. You know why? I wanna see men here unleashed to weep over their Savior. I wanna see men that are like, I'll worship God with hands up, I'll lay on the floor. He gets my whole life. You know what your kids need, men? You're not ashamed to worship, love, and weep over your Savior. Be that man. We will be that church. Maybe you're not that guy yet. It's okay. Go eat your, you know, I was going to say go eat your meat, but that was like, go eat your brisket and do your thing today. Don't forget God in all this, guys. Do you not only build your life around God's word, do you submit to God's word even when you disagree or don't like it? That's harder. When you're sitting at the cooler and everybody's talking about how cool it was that their gay friends got married and you're like, do you slide in to just be liked? Or do you speak up? Because that will get persecution. You're not getting invited to the garden parties after that one. Are you willing? <laughs> you should have a garden party, young sir. Um, am I willing to run all my opinions through the grid of Scripture? So people come here a lot, and they get mad at me about the Holy Spirit because they come, from, they come from cessationist churches, or they come from their background, and they go, you make a big deal about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, did you run that opinion through Scripture? Did you, is, your, is your prayer life run by Scripture, or is it run by someone taught you the ABCs of prayer one day and that's the only way you know how to pray is your life run through the grid of scripture your opinion about how you spend your money is it run through scripture or is it run through Dave Ramsey is your opinion about sex is it run through scripture or is it run through hey this is what the world says or this is what one Christian guy told me once is okay is scripture your guide and your grid and I believe more and more we're gonna have to be Christians uh, that know the Bible, but not just know it. Don't just look the part, but are full of the power. And the, the godliness isn't just a thing we show off, it's like who we are. And we cling to the word, and we live the word.
So I want to do this. I want to pray, and I'm actually going to invite the band to come back up here. Uh, and we're just going to enter back into worship. And we really do believe in freedom. So some of you are like, thank God he's going to say amen so I can leave here with this kid. Ah. When we say freedom, you're free to go. But you're also free to stay and linger a little bit and let the Spirit of God do whatever he's been doing in your heart as you heard the Word of God. Because some of you have been terrified about being persecuted, and you need to let God remove that fear. Some of you are loving yourself and loving money and loving pleasure, and God wants you to return to loving him. And some of you just need to stay in this room and worship God and love him with your whole heart and all of your emotions and all that you are as an act of worship. And so as we're worshiping, some prayer teams are going to come up. And if, if you need prayer for healing, physically, mentally, whatever way, if you need prayer for your marriage, if you need prayer for like, I'm not a good dad, I don't care what it is, we're just going to let God do whatever he wants to do. So I'm going to pray when I say amen, you are free. You're free to worship, you're free to stay, you're free to go, you're free to do whatever. God, we love you and I thank you for your word. And I'm so thankful I get to call you Father. That I get to call you Abba, that I get to, like that, that sweet, intimate name of Dad. And so Father, our Father in heaven, we come before you right now. And we really need your help. Because this world, it, it's crooked, it's depraved, and it calls our name in so many ways. So first of all, God, I just ask that by your spirit right now, you would reveal anything we're loving more than you. And that you all in the room right now, you just listen to God. And let him correct and let him rebuke and let him love on you. And maybe just have a real conversation of love. God, I want to love you with all that I am, but, and I don't know what your butt is, like I don't know what the thing is, but maybe talk to him about it. I want to love you, God, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but I feel so weak here. Will you give me strength to say no? I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.